This is an NBA Sound System presentation of The Pickup Game with Seth Greenberg, produced by Hall Pass Media. To watch the entire video series, visit hallpassnetwork.com. Now, to The Pickup Game. Welcome to Pickup Game. I'm Seth Greenberg, and I am honored to be joined by uh, three really good friends. Anthony Grant, the head coach at Dayton, who was, I think, national coach of the year this year. Congratulations, coach. Tom Izzo. Uh, Michigan State head coach, and my good friend Kevin Keats, who uh, basically when he was at Hargrave Military Academy got me some guys, so I actually looked like I could coach. So uh, I, I really do appreciate you guys being here. And uh, before we start every every show, uh, we always try to make sure that we make a point of thanking the doctors and the nurses and the hospital workers and the first responders uh, and all the people that are the ultimate teammates Uh risking their own lives for the good of others, which is so important. I think so many times it's a great lesson for all of our, our, our teams. You know, you think about it, you've got teams and guys are worried about shot selection and minutes and, and roles and everything else. And here you have these people each and every day getting in their cars and going to work and putting themselves at risk. There are so many, they're doing so many good things for all of us. And the other thing I wanted to really quickly say, I saw a video yesterday, uh, Rex Chapman's Twitter follow is unbelievable. There was a video yesterday that just, it, it, it really moved me. I think there are two words, humanity and compassion. And this video right here is, is humanity and compassion. And there's just uh, two elderly people who are getting the assistance of people in the community to help them get in their cars to get home with nothing else but just caring for someone else. Uh, to me, this is, this is what, our world needs. You know, we're dealing with a pandemic, an epidemic. Well, we need an epidemic of humanity and we need an epidemic of compassion. And it really starts one person at a time. Uh, we're not fixing the world in one day, but we can fix it one person at a time, caring a little bit more, trying to reach out and do something for someone else. And uh, that video just, uh, you know, I follow Rex, but that thing just moved me. Just really quickly, on, on, on that note, with everything that's gone on with the pandemic, with everything that's gone on, obviously, in our society, what kind of conversations, real quickly, are you guys having with your guys? Because I know you, a lot of you guys aren't on campus. Uh, and how are you reaching out and connecting with them? And where are their hearts and where are their minds with everything that's gone on? Uh, Anthony, I'll start, with, I'll start with you, and then you guys just bounce it off each other. Yeah, well, the last few weeks, I think, is, uh, has, has put all of us in a place where, where we've had to have, uh, I think, some, some conversations, number one, with ourselves, you know, just in terms of, of uh, you know, what's really happening and, and what we're aware of. And obviously, we're all going through the same thing with the pandemic, and uh, we're at home, you know, so we're, we're, we're more aware of what's going on around us every time you turn the TV on. So I've had conversations, uh, you know, with my family. And I've had some conversations with our guys in regards to to what's going on. And and I think, you know, a couple of things to me stand out. Number one is giving our guys a, a, an opportunity just to 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 be heard and to 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 talk about their experiences and their opinions. And then, you know, the other thing is is an opportunity to educate and uh, educate myself, educate uh, our staff and educate our players as to, you know, some of the some of the issues that have been going on. Uh, obviously, you look at what happened with uh, George Floyd. That kind of was the uh, uh, was the the uh, 
I guess, the spark plug for, for everything that you're seeing across the country now. But even before that, the Black Lives Matter movement and uh, how it was started and some of the things that we consistently have seen uh, that have taken place over the course of decades. You know, uh, I think it's just it started a conversation that uh, I think the young people in our country are really, you know, the, 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 the force behind this movement, which is great to see. So uh, I think our, our part as leaders uh, is, to, is to try to create a platform where they, they have a chance to use their voice and they can be educated in terms of uh, what's going on and, and how they can impact uh, not only our teams and our campuses, but our communities in the world. Yeah, I would say, um, Anthony, well said. Um, I look at it from two standpoints. Um, Seth, as you know, I have uh, two boys who are 16 and 12. And, um, you know, one of the toughest conversations I had to have with those guys to, is to sit down and talk about what happened with George Floyd. Um, it was a conversation that was tough for me because obviously my dad had to do some of the same things that happened, uh, having a conversation with me. I remember in 91, um, I was 17, 18 years old, and we were talking about, um, you know, what was going on at that time, uh, which was really, really uh, a tough situation. Uh, with our players, um, I just, I, I got them on Zoom and I let them vent. Um, you know, I wanted to start the conversation. I said a few things at the beginning and the end, but I wanted to hear where they were coming from. And, and they came from a place of just not understanding. Um, I think, you know, with my own kids and even kids that we recruit, every family raises their kid to love and not to hate. And when you see, uh, you know, eight minutes and 46 seconds um, of someone putting a neck, I mean, their knee on someone's neck, that's very disappointing. I've said all along, if uh, I don't care what color you are, or if you don't have a problem with that, then there's probably something wrong with you. Uh, it's a little different. I'll, I'll give our kids um, with the platforms that they have with Twitter and Instagram and everything else, um, some of the stuff has kind of brought us more closer together. And I like today's kids because they're standing out, they're protesting, uh, they're speaking their mind. And um, we have to continue that. I think that has to continue, you know, not just for right now. I want to say for eight months from now, we got to continue that conversation. And I think it'll go a long ways with everybody. But our kids and us as uh, coaches, because we have a platform, uh, we have to speak out against racism. We have to talk about it. Um, you know, when we sit in kids in families' homes and we talk to their parents, we tell them we're going to take care of them. And, and I think that's part of our duty. Well, for me, it's a little different because, um, you know, I haven't gone through those things and uh, make no bones about it, uh, you know. So I loved what Anthony said about educating. And, and Kevin, you said the same thing. I had a Zoom call that night with my players, uh, the same, and tried to get them to talk and, and speak and, uh, and kind of tried to figure out where am I on this whole thing. Unless you go through something, I don't think you ever understand it seeing the knee on his face and ha having to, a chance to watch that uh, as unfortunate as it was, it just kind of made me think, what are we doing? You know, what are we doing? And so the second thing I did was call some of my former players, uh, you know, the Magics and the Gregory Kelsers and the Steve Smiths and guys from the past, uh, you know, that were somewhere here before I was here. And then the, the Cleveses and the Valentines and the Jaron Jacksons and, Miles Bridges, the kids that, you know, maybe were more recent. Uh, I have a little 
better perspective on maybe things that I never knew. Like some of these guys went through some things. And so when they say to you that, uh, you know, you got to be able to talk about the uncomfortable things to talk about. I'm a lot more comfortable talking about it. And what I figured out, and one thing I did is that, you know, I grew up in the seventies more and, uh, you know, back then it was the hippie era and, uh, you know, and I didn't, uh, you know, understand the Kaepernick thing. I guess I did like a lot of people where I just said, God, you know, I do a lot for the military. I do a lot of things. I looked at it maybe the wrong way. And as I went back in my own past, I realized that, uh, you know, back in those days, uh, a lot of white people were burning flags. A lot of hippies were burning them at Woodstock and all those places, Seth, that you remember. And here there was a peaceful protest taking a knee, and it just educated me. So when, you know, when Anthony talks about education, yeah, we need to do that for our 10-year-olds, our 15, our 20-year-olds. But we can do it for our 40, 50, 60, 70-year-olds also. and. Uh, I've had some good conversations and I, I feel like watching those protests like I have to see the number of white people, Hispanic people, black people all marching together. Um, I think this time it's the right time to make sure that we take care of this and, uh, and really put a crimp into racism. Yeah, I think putting good days on top of each other, like we always talk with our teams, I think this is one of those things. This this is not a one-day fix. This is a day-to-day uh, attention to detail. Like I said, humanity and compassion. I, I, had a, I had a Zoom call with about 50 of my former guys from all of the different schools I was not only head coach with, an assistant coach with, all different age groups. The one thing that moved me is I have two former players, Eric Brown, who played for me at University of Miami. Anthony, you were probably a young guy when he was playing at, at, at Miami. Yeah, I remember a, Eric. We actually played against him. Yeah, oh, he was from at, New York. Eric from New York. Yeah, right? yeah, boys yeah. and girls high school, and uh, yeah. born in Bed Stuy. He's a Miami police officer now. Is he? Okay. And and Keith Armstrong played for me at Pitt. These are two police officers, and uh, obviously, what transpired to with George Floyd made made them sick and embarrassed. But in in the conversation, they also wanted to communicate to this coach. There are some really, really good people that go to work every single day that really want to get into the community and make a difference and do the right thing. And 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 Eric said it best. He said, Coach, I hate stereotypes. I blanket hate stereotypes. So we can't just stereotype every person in law enforcement as this guy that embarrassed anything and everything it stands for. We've all got to understand that there are good and bad in everyone. But the interesting conversations with I had Darren Burnett was the first player I ever recruited at Columbia to our last guy at Virginia Tech. And their compassion for each other and their their connection and the conversations they had amongst each other, uh, it was it, it, it was a moving, moving time for me. And, uh, you know, it made me just feel for them and be so proud that they could all come together and and say, all right, we're going to try to do something every day. And this was the, this was the end. We wanted to, I said, well, let's have a result-based conversation. And what can we do moving forward? And they all said they were going to try to do something in their communities to bring people together. And and it, it, it was an amazing thing. But those two guys uh, that are in law enforcement, they were so hurt and so embarrassed by what happened, uh, yet they didn't want that to reflect on on the good people that are trying to do the good things. So 
Yeah. Uh, I just so think it's I, important. I, yep. Can Please. I jump in there? Because yeah. I, I think you're bringing up a great point. A couple of things. Number one is, is you don't want to stereotype anyone, right? We have a lot of great law enforcement people out there that keep us safe and that, that serve their community. And then you have some that, that what we've seen, like I said, it's been decades of where you can abuse your power. And there's, there's people that will go out and they'll peacefully protest, right? And, and they'll try to, to say, hey, we, we need some type of change in our society based on the way people of color are treated. And then you'll have some other people that will take uh, take to violence, looting or rioting or whatever, right? And so neither group can be, can be stereotyped one way or the other, right? So this has started a conversation of everybody trying to say, okay, hey, let, let's find a solution. And at the end of the day, we all have a decision to make. We can debate it and we can talk about it. Or like your, your former player said, what can I do? What, what can I do where I'm at to impact change? So I think it's upon all of us, especially us as leaders, as coaches, uh, your platform set that you have, that you have, uh, you know, whether it be on ESPN or, or via your audience on the radio to be able to uh, maybe have some of those conversations about what can I do from my seat to impact change. And I think that that's where we start. So this issue has brought up the topic of, you know, po potential of police reform, outlawing knees in the neck and chokeholds, right? That'd be a good thing or, or uh, qualified immun immunity uh, when, when, when the police kill someone that 99% that of them never get charged. Uh, and when we see it, whether it's Eric Garner in a, in a, in a chokehold saying, I can't breathe, or uh, someone you know in their car, Orlando Castile getting shot in his car when he's saying, I have a weapon and I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm going for my permit. You know, just those type situations uh, where it's clear that a, a person's human rights were violated and then nothing happens or starting a conversation about, hey, how did we get here? What, what is systemic racism and, and how does it impact? And really us being able to open our eyes and take a look at it and say, OK, hey, here's what it is. And what part can I play in helping to change this, whether it whether it's, you know, uh, hiring practices or uh, education? Or whatever it may be, wherever you are, what can I do if you're if you're a leader or in power some kind of way? How can I make a make a difference in my community, or or or, or, or my campus or whatever? So I think if we start that conversation, and then there's follow through, okay? Not just hey, I understand what you're going through and that sucks and I agree with you. It's not right, okay? And then we move on to the next thing. Then nothing's changing because this is this has been time after time after time again and 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 you know uh as a black man i feel it you know i, th mm -hmm. I think we, we we've uh, coach you mentioned it you know you you haven't had to to deal with it and maybe for you it's been you know hey I, i've heard about it but it doesn't really impact me uh but for a lot of the players that you coach it impacts them on a daily basis and that's not something that's a that's an easy conversation to start i can remember when i was a child my parents never really had those conversations with me about what they saw with, you know, the assassination of Martin Luther King or what was happening with Medgar Evers or just the, the they, but basically they said, Hey, you know, you need to stay away from this neighborhood or, you know, no, you can't go there. Right. And so as a kid, it was like, okay, my mom, my mom and dad said, I can't do that. 
I'm yeah. not doing that. It, they, they didn't they didn't stop to say sit me down and say, hey, here's why. And here's what we're concerned about when you before you were born or when you were two, this happened. It was just no. Here's what you're going to do. Right. So, you know, I, I think some of that stuff has to we have to look at it and say, all right, where can we take this in terms of, of helping the next generation be better? Yeah. And, and Seth, I'll, I'll Cogizzo, I, I, I'll, I'll applaud you and I appreciate you for um, the way that you're handling it with your team um, by reaching out to former players, um, because I, I had a Zoom meeting with our um, head coaches and I was on a call. And uh, obviously, um, we don't have a lot of African-American head coaches here at NC State. And one thing that I told everybody is um, don't be fake with your players. Don't pretend like you know if you don't. Just ask questions and listen to them. And, and I'm here if anybody wants me to talk to their team about you know certain things. Um, fighting racism is tough, especially if it's never affected you before. And so, if it's not, if it doesn't directly affect you, you don't see it as much. Um, but we see it all the time. You know, it's um, it's crazy. You know, even with my situation, I can go into a store right now and not feel great about it because I feel like somebody's watching me to make sure that I don't steal anything. Um, and that's kind of tough and that's hard to swallow when you talk about 2020 and being a, um, a black male in this world. And so, you know, what we have to do is, you know, we need voices. Um, we not, need not just the, you know, the black coaches to stand up. We need a lot of guys. Uh, we've got tremendous coaches with, um, you know, that believe in everything that's going on with our young African-American kids. And we need everybody to have a voice and stand up. And I think if we do this, we can fight it. We can make it better. We can make it better, you know, in two or three years. It may not happen overnight, but if all of us will band together and just say, hey, we're not going to sit here and tolerate this. And I know everybody's on this whole deal about, you know, making sure that, you know, all of our kids vote. I think that's a good start. You know, in the ACC, we talked about, playing a game on Martin Luther King Day, I think that's a great start. But what happens before we get to the game and what happens after is very important because I think it's some of those things that we can't forget about and we got to continue to battle for every day that we can. But uh, I'd like to add something to that because I think both these guys brought some good points. And, and for you and I, I, I think this is a great time to say the white coach in a predominantly 80% of the kids I recruit or African-Americans. So um, I think we're the guys that got to stand up. It's hard to beat your own drum. You know, it's hard to to talk about, you know, something uh, in the black community. Um, Frank Martin said something to me the other day that uh, on a Zoom call that really hit home with me. We were talking about some things. He says, Tom, I've done something you've never done. And Frank and I are good friends and we've talked a lot. We're on some committees together. And I started laughing at him. I said, I did something you've never done. I won a national championship, you know, and I was kind of kidding with him. And he goes, uh, yeah, but I still done something you've never done. And he says, when my kid leaves the house that night, he's 17, I sit there and talk to him about how to deal with a police officer if he gets pulled over. Have you ever done that? Man, I mean, I, I was just taken back. And I said, no, I've never done that. And my father's never done that. And it was embarrassing. And it was, it just, it made me angry. It made me frustrated. And uh, my wife's Hispanic, so I've heard a lot of things about 
different things that happen. I think all the players I've coached and where I live, what they've done for me. And I swear to you guys, uh, I think the white coaches got to step up and, and talk about this and demand this equality that, as both of you guys have said, is talked about through generations and generations and generations. It's tar time to start living, you know, walking the talk, as they say. And, uh, and I think we've got to be part of trumpeting that. I'm glad I'm on with you two guys because my own assistants, uh, my own players, um, my own family, and when I think of it, um, we've got to get this equality thing straightened out. Quit talking and start doing it. I think this conversation is, is awesome. I, I would add one thing. I think that you know the one thing we all care about, we love our players. We want them to be successful. Right now, to me, the one area I think that is, is most important, I know all you guys care about it so much, is education. Education, not only education in, in, on topical, but daily education. The, the greatest way to, to help yourself is, is, is through education. And, um, you know, sometimes as coaches, that's an area, you know, you fight with your guys on. Do you think right now that will be easier conversations for your guys? Because, like, Anthony, what you've been through, what you've been able to accomplish, Keatsy, your, your road that you've accomplished is partially because of, of education. How important is that to really, really, like, I, I like to me, this whole MBA Academy thing scares me. The whole idea of guys, you know, athletically leaving early. Uh, I mean, guys can't wait to get out of school. And like I always say, the NBA is an exclusive club. How can we bring to the forefront or how can, you know, you guys, because you have teams, bring to the forefront just how important education is uh, and get that through to the families? I understand the NBA is, is everyone's goal, but the value of that education, making an education that's worthwhile, how can that get to the yeah. forefront now? I'll take that, Seth, and I think here's where you could help, right? Because I think a part of what, what our kids have been programmed to believe, especially in the sport of basketball, is that um, it's about the quickest path to the NBA, right? One and done or leaving leaving school early. And listen, I'm all for and the reason the reason you go to school, the reason you, you get an education is so that you can put yourself in a position where you can you can earn a living that, that allows you to, to, to have some level of comfort and security with what you do. So if, if you're one of those uh, small percentage of guys that have an opportunity to, 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 to either go straight uh, to the NBA or, 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 or make a significant amount of money and, and eventually get to the NBA or, or be one or two years in college and go to the NBA, I'm all for that. But the vast majority of the, the young men that play college basketball, and specifically the African-Americans, they're in school for four years or they are they probably should be okay and so when it's all you hear talked about is uh you know uh one and done and this guy's leaving after sophomore year and this guy's projected to be this and projected to be that it to me it, it starts a dangerous expectation for young people right and and, and so what percentage of uh Coach Izzo, how many, what percentage of your guys, and you're, you, you're constantly in the Final Four, you're constantly playing for championships, like you, you've been elite at what you've done. 
what percentage of your guys uh, that that come through Michigan State are are first round draft picks so that that are playing more than three years in the NBA. So the truth of the matter is, more African American kids are going through a four year cycle now. How they feel about that sometimes it's based on what society's telling them they should feel about that so there was a time when a kid felt like hell if i'm still in school as a junior i failed i've i've i've, I've missed an opportunity and i gotta now all of a sudden there's pressure on me to live up to what my neighborhood or what what society has told me success looks like as opposed to you know the emphasis being on get your degree and if you have an opportunity to, to, to leave early, great. If you're, you're in four years and then you have an opportunity to, to earn your way into that opportunity to play at the next level, great. And if you don't, you have a degree which will set you up for the rest of your life. So I got to believe the majority of the people that are talking about one and dones or writing about one and dones or doing that are all people that have college degrees, right? That have a career in the, in, 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 in the media through journalism because they went to school and got a degree. But they're telling African-American kids that, hey, here's the path and this is what you should be doing. And if you're in school for four years, that coach did you wrong or that school's doing you wrong or blah, 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 right? So my thing is start a different conversation, you know, in terms of what's really true, right? Here's what's really true. The majority of our kids, and they all aspire, every kid on my team aspires to play in the NBA. And I'm going to do everything I can to try to help them achieve that dream while they're getting their education and they're getting their degree. Now, what other opportunities are available for someone that loves sports but may not have the opportunity to continue to play after college? Okay, What about athletic administration? What avenues are we opening up for kids to get involved, not only just in coaching, but in administration or at the professional level? What are some some opportunities to get in the door uh, you know, as as a uh, someone in personnel or in the front office or uh, in video uh, as a as a as a workout guy to eventually become an assistant coach. What are some different avenues for guys that that love the game that want to be around the game could possibly utilize to stay in the game? What are some other areas that 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 you can you can take advantage of? So maybe a little bit more uh, talking about that. And I don't know that obviously that's probably not going to attract a lot of people to to read your article or, or, or listen to you, but that's the truth. Yep. So, yeah, that's something I find. I got to be honest with you because I'm, I'm right with you guys in the meetings I sit in, I fight it weekly. Like I say, like what we're like, uh, I'm going to use an example, like the kid, Matt McClung, I probably shouldn't use him as an example, but like just, it kind of bothered me that we wrote an article that oh, well, he's had 11 interviews. Well, you know, personnel guys have nothing to do. So they're going to interview that guy, but he's not a pro. I'm just being truthful. I mean, like we've got to value education. We've got to value education across the board. And, uh, and, and we've got to stop talking. There's such a small percentage of guys that are the, the elites, the ones you were talking about. Most of the guys, it's really hard. It's a very exclusive club. I mean, that very few make. And yeah, there's the one, 450 guys in the NBA. 450 jobs. You, you've been there. There's 450. We've got over 200 underclassmen trying to get into a 60-person total draft. I mean, 
That is such a good statement, Anthony brought. I bet you Kevin agrees with it. I mean, I've got two kids that are still – listen, we none of us have any problem. If a kid is capable of – Jaron Jackson, for me, after one year, you know, he still wanted to come back to school. It just got to the point where he was going to be drafted too high. And God bless him. But, you know, his family, he was mature enough. I, I think the problem we have is a lot of these kids are talented enough but not all of them are mature enough. Now, I haven't been to the NBA. I've had my chances to go. Anthony, you've been there. Kevin, I don't think you've been there. Um, I have not. It I, is thought a, I, I thought I was good enough, but I wasn't. Yeah, well, <laughs> I coach even. But, I mean, it is a, it's not an easy path. I mean, when Magic comes back here, Gary Harris, I mean, so many guys that say, hey, guys, Steve Smith always says, you know what? It's great, and the money's great, but it's a job, you know? And I think – Anthony's right. I think we've done him a disservice. Even us as coaches, Anthony and Kevin. I mean, how do you recruit a guy now? Hey, what's the first thing they ask? How fast can you get me to the lead? It seems like those that have had the most players there, that's the new normal. That's not the new normal, you know? And I think education's great. I think it is important. But I think we're doing a poor job. And I think what we have to do is get a better relationship, NBA and college. I think we've done a poor job of that. My buddy Steve Mariucci was in the NFL, and if you listen to him talk about it, it's so much better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with either side. I just think that we're not working together. You talk about what's best for the kids, what would be best for the kids if all of us put our brains together and we did what was best for the kids, help them get educated when they're ready to go. But let's not tell them stories. I mean – Every one of my kids have had 15 Zoom interviews. Hell, I think they want to interview me. I don't know if it's as a coach or as a player. I mean, they're interviewing anybody. That Steph, you're the only guy on the planet who hasn't been interviewed by an NBA team to be a player. And I, I laugh about it, but it's so true. And um, I just think I love the guys that are honest. And I, I'd be interested, Anthony, because I know Billy well. And when I talk to him about a player, it's, it seems different. I think most GMs, most coaches, they don't want guys that aren't ready to go to the league. And yet there's agents out there. There's people out there that are putting so much pressure on these kids. And what it's more of now, I think you guys would agree, it's the parents of the kids we coach. So we have a lot of blame. We always give all the 18-year-old, you know, boy, he's so – it's our fault. We're the ones that got to do a better job, and you do it in the media. So I couldn't – and again, I, I, I said media, but I think you're right. I think it starts at the grassroots level. Like, hey, here's here's what we should be emphasizing. Here's what we should be talking about. And listen, cool. e- every kid is not made out for the for, for that path to say, hey, I'm going to be a four year guy in college. And, and you know, my, my degree is what's going to take me. We're, we're in a day and age where you're seeing kids have success uh, that never went to college, right? Just just because of social media and 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 the the, the platforms that are available to them and the way they learn. So, what we do at, at this level is is a combination of provide opportunities from an athletic standpoint, but also provide those opportunities from an academic and social standpoint where they can learn, grow, mature, and be better. Right, and and so I, I think we have to understand what we have at the at the college level is coach different than what the NBA provides, right? So there are some kids that, that quite honestly, you know, when I was w- with the Thunder that, that came out early, right? And with the knowledge that 
they probably weren't going to be drafted and most likely wouldn't be on an NBA roster at that point. But the opportunity for them to make $50,000 and to, to be able to, to live rent-free and to get training on their chosen craft was a better path for them individually than being in school. And they, they said, okay, hey, here's what I want to do to work on the career that I, that I, that I want to pursue, right? And so having a, a, an avenue for them to do that was, was probably the right thing. Now, now, as a coach, yeah, we, we, as a college coach, you're saying that if this guy had stayed, he could have been better off. But if that's not what he wanted to do, like I'm all for, hey, you, you've got options, but let's not, uh, with the word, the word we used there, uh, earlier, stereotype or vilify one over the other, right? But I think we have, to, we have to have an honest conversation just in terms of, hey, here's what reality is, okay? Here's what reality is. So at the end of the day, uh, if, if that ball stops bouncing for you at 24 or you're 34, you still got a lot of life left, okay? And, and maybe you, you built, you'll be a guy like a Steve Smith or a, a Magic Johnson or someone that's, that's had a long enough career that they can be pretty selective in what they choose to do, right? And maybe even without a, a degree, doors will be open for them because of uh, the, the magnitude of, of, of their, uh, of what they've been able to become because of the sport. So, so they'll get opportunities. But for the vast majority of kids that come through college to play sports, once they're done with college, that that fame and that 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 attention is now gone, and now they've got to go on and figure out what avenue am I gonna am I gonna be able to explore in life in order to be successful and not and not get that cycle again of systemic racism where doors are closed because of whatever. Okay, so Seth, when you brought the conversation up about education. To me, I, I think you know what we have is 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 a uh, just another tool right, through this sport to create maybe opportunities to open some doors for some kids mm -hmm. down down the line that uh, people in our position and people above us, the athletic directors, the presidents, uh, board of trustee members, the our our uh, donors and supporters. Uh, can look at some of these kids and say, hey, this would this would be good for them and us if we would uh, be open to giving some of these kids opportunities uh, outside of us just watching them play and, and helping our teams be successful. Hey, Kevin, Chef, I got a question I got, for you. I got, I think, I'm gonna, and I'll take your question. I want to add one thing to that. I think Coach Izzo touched on it, so did Anthony. I thought their points were great. I think we had to re-educate the parents. Um, you know, we have um, – What's wrong with, if you guys remember, Seth, when you're sitting in homes and all of us have recruited and that mom says that you, you're going to graduate, um, you're going to be the first in our family to graduate, and that's important. I don't care about basketball. Um, I think it's kind of trickled down where uh, we have so many parents now who are coaching our teams from their, from their couch, and um, they want them. And I, I told a parent one time before, uh, Ma'am, you've worked all for 25 years now. What is one or two more years um, to see if your kid not only can get in the NBA, but he can stick? Um, 
you know, we always used to talk about, you know, not your first contract. Your first contract will be fine, but trying to get to that second or third contract that could take care of you for the rest of your life. So that's, that's in my opinion, I think it starts with re-educating the parents about getting a degree and what can happen after that. Yeah, I think that's a great, but I think the parents want, when you recruit them, education's important. When they get on campus, a lot of times parents, playing time, shot selection, the path is becomes more important. Uh, but here, here's a question. All you guys have guys right now whose names are still in the draft. All right. All you guys have guys that August 17th is the early entry deadline, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and if they're still evaluating now, and, and you know, I'd be interested, Kevin, because you got you got a guy, and I think Tom, you got one or two. And Anthony and Anthony, you've got well, Obi, excluding Obi, you've got one. Mm-hmm. So, like, how how you get feedback back from NBA people, which is they, they're pretty good on that. All right, how how can we do a better job of of educating the kids and earning the trust, saying like, here's what they're saying. Uh, like, so a lot of these kids, the feedback they're getting is is they should come back to school. And that's where I go, like, sort of, you know, that education is important, but more importantly, they're just not ready. How are you guys dealing with these guys because of the pressures that you you mentioned, Anthony? There's so much pressure on these kids to get there. So, like, for your guys, is there anything special that each one of you guys is doing with your kids to give them information, to help them make a good decision, to understand the 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 road and and the journey that they that they potentially could travel and if they stayed versus if they go out and like roll the dice. I mean, that's the thing that, that, that bothers me. How, like, cause if you say that to them, there'll be someone else that's going to say to them, well, he just wants you to come back cause he wants to win games. So how do you deal with that? I'd like to ask Anthony, since he's the only one that's been in the NBA, because that's the problem I have. When I talk to the GMs of, you know, Golden State or Detroit, I mean, they're great. And they give us pretty honest answers. I think, you know, we, we all send out the underclassmen thing, you get them back and, you know, it's, it kind of tells you maybe what you don't want to hear, but the reality of things. But yeah. then I think the agent world is create such a problem and the parents, I mean, they just, you know, if one person tells them they're here and I've had, uh, you know, more than a few guys that have left after one year, two years, and it's been great for the most part, but I've had a couple that have left that I knew it was going to be a disaster. And, you know, what I think, Anthony, happens, and I I guess you're looking at the G League and things like that, I think a kid who's not mature enough is going to really struggle in those leagues because there's there's not as much accountability. There's not as much – I mean, you and I and Kevin, we're looking after these players 24-7, 24-7. I mean, there's never a minute that goes by. And I think they get sold a bill of goods. I don't think it's always by the teams. I just think it's the outside people. And it goes yeah. back to the pressure that's put on them. That's why it's easier in football. They have a three-year deal. If you had three years, it's like this transfer rule coming out. You know, If you didn't get the transfer your first year and you get a kid for the second year, usually things work out. You know, It's just kids are so – frustrated they want to get somewhere so fast that i think a lot of mistakes are being made and and i don't think it's the teams necessarily and i, I don't know what anthony's thought yeah i do have a trouble with the g league in that anthony myself because i think if a kid isn't mature enough now you're going to a league that is a little more hectic and chaotic than even the nba without the yeah. money 
Yeah. yeah, you can still make it, but there's not a lot of guys that I think come up that way anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I can see it from both sides. Having having been in the league for a couple of years, I think every organization is different, right? So in, yeah. in college, you have some programs that have a, a tremendous culture that's in place, so that when kids come in, they can have success just by falling in line with that culture. And I think it's the same thing at the next level. Uh, some organizations are more prepared to to facilitate that path for kids through yeah. the G League and 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 onto an NBA roster. But at the end of the day, at the that the next level, it is a business, and that's the part that nothing, uh, whether it's the the grassroots, high school, or even college, prepares our kids for it to be a business. Right. So Kevin, you talked about we have to have conversations with parents about, hey, you know here's the in involvement or, or, or uh, minimizing that involvement in your kid's career based on how much he played in this particular game or how many points he's averaging over the course of the season because you're trying to reach a goal. When they get to the NBA, we're going to give you this check for this amount of money. And whether you're playing 40 minutes or you're playing four minutes, you're getting this check every, every whatever, every couple of weeks every month and as long as you cast that check then you're agreeing to uh whatever uh whatever you're getting based on the situation and then you know my thing with with trying to get kids to understand how it's a business like like so you take uh, i'll take obi for an example you know as a freshman obi came onto the scene and, and became the a10 rookie of the year he was first team all league. He was the first guy since Lamar Odom to to be first team all league as a freshman, right? And so he uh, had a desire to go through the process after his freshman year because of he had really good people around him. Uh, his mom, uh, his uncle, and his support group was small. We were able to have some dialogue with them and say, "Hey, here's what you're looking at." So. Uh, like anything else, if, if, if listen, if, if, if you have a chance, uh, you're in business and you can you can say I can get this 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 player for uh, a quarter of what his value may be a year or two from now based on projections. If I if he comes out, so whether that's an agent or uh, some someone within a team being able to say, hey, here's a guy a year or two from now could be a top five pick in the draft. But if he comes out now, he's a relative unknown, and we can get him as a non-guaranteed second-round pick if he chooses to stay in the draft. Okay, now that that's a business decision. That okay, I, I got to look at that. So being able to educate kids and understand once you make that decision, okay, and now you're in a two or three-year contract, and you're making this amount of money. If your first two years are learning years and you're making a minimal amount of money, that next contract you get is probably going to be for pennies on a dollar compared to what you could have gotten had you come back to said school and perform better. So I'll take Obi for an example. Like his ability to come out as a sophomore and do what he did and put himself in a position where he's a potential top five pick. Right? He, didn't, he didn't all of a sudden just come out of nowhere to that. It was a process for him and he and, and his family, the people around them were able to look at it and say, you know, we trust the staff there. We, we trust his abilities and we can see 
that if he comes back, he is a potential first round draft pick, which not only puts more money in his pocket, but it creates more opportunity at the next level for him to get those opportunities to to develop quicker. And when that next contract comes now, now he's got a chance to to to, to really, you know, get his value. Right. So uh, I look at it in terms of understanding that it is a business at the end of the day. And you try to educate uh, these kids. So like for for we had two that were in the uh, 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 put their names in to declare for the draft. And, and at the end of the year, when the year ended, I told both of them, this will be good for you to do to go through the process. OK, and just gather information and learn because they all want to play in the NBA. Right. So I feel like, hey, go and explore it and see it. And at the end of the day, yeah, you have uh, sometimes you have uh, outside influences, whether it be agents or, or uh, you know, uh, there there maybe some of their their uh, coaches or people around uh, their families that have a level of influence. Okay, but then you also have the ability to to communicate with them and talk to their parents and figure out, okay, here here's here's where we are. And and at the end of the day, you know, kids are going to make decisions like anybody else makes a decision like I, I could have, you know, uh, uh, a, a dear family member that decides, you know what, I'm going to I'm going to quit school and I'm going to start a record company. Right. And and hey, that, that, that may not be a great decision. Right. But you have the freedom to make a poor decision when student athletes sometimes make poor decisions. We act like it, the world's going to end. Right. But Typically, hey, we all in life have a chance to make decisions. So we just try to educate as best as best we can and tell them the truth in terms of here's what you're looking at. OK, and then based on that, that information, OK, you have to make a decision that you think is in your best interest. Um, you know, I think for our kids, at least I, I can speak for, for, you know, we had two Ibby Watson and, and Jalen Crutcher to go in the draft. I told them they needed to go through the process and get that feedback and said, as you mentioned, uh, most of the NBA teams are coming back and saying, hey, here's where we project you. And this is a chance for us to gather information on you, okay, and learn more about you. So maybe a year from now, or if you happen to stay in the draft, you know, that's a choice you got to make. You know, we're going to okay. give you uh, one one view of it. Your coach is going to give you a different view of it. You guys have to decide what's in your best interest. If you go mm -hmm. back to school, we have intel. If you don't go, okay, we, we know where you are and We'll, 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 we'll follow your progress, whether you're on a G League team or you're overseas or, you know, whatever it is you're doing. If you're still in the game, we, we have intel and we're going to follow you and see what happens. So uh, that's been my experience uh, the way I see it. Let me ask you guys something to kind of change the subject a little bit. Like Kevin, North Carolina, they kind of had a little bit of a spike. But when you speak to your guys, the virus obviously shut down the world. All right. And now things are starting to open up. But when you speak to your guys, Kevin, like one, do they, do they want to, you know, what are, the, what are they saying about coming back to campus? Are they working out on their own? I mean, uh, what are they doing and what feedback do you get from your guys uh, in regards to wanting to, to get back to being, getting back to Raleigh and getting back to being with their teammates and getting back in that environment? Uh, what kind of feedback are you getting from them? Because, I mean, that that's the big thing to me. Yeah, Seth, uh, fortunate for us, um, our guys are excited about getting back to campus. Um, you know, they understand that, obviously, we got to get in there and work. Where we struggled a little bit is because of the pandemic, we've got 
five freshmen coming in, and we normally would have eight weeks to kind of try to bring those guys up to speed. Uh, the tough thing about it is with the, the new ruling, uh, us being able to have summer access on the 20th, it's always tougher because now these guys have to come in and have to do everything on a volunteer basis. And that's tough because um, I know you and I talked about this a little bit before this call. Most of our guys are playing pickup around the country somewhere. Um, most of our guys are, they, they have their own trainer that's getting pretty good workouts in. Uh, and that's a tough thing because you're bringing them back to an environment where you can't mandate right now for them to get into the gym. So that's the toughest thing. Um, you know, with our guys, um, other than what's going on in North Carolina, uh, I, I've talked to them about being responsible. Uh, the, the virus may not affect you. Uh, it may not, you know, you're young um, and, and a lot of these guys, if they catch the virus, they will survive it. But we also talk about what you can do by passing it along to your family, to your grandmothers and all that other stuff. And that's the part that scares me. Uh, I want everybody to start listening to the medical people, uh, because if we're going to have a season, uh, it's going to depend on us flattening the curve. Um, the more you read about it and, you know, it's tough in North Carolina right now because I think our governor did a great job at the beginning. But we now we have these beaches and every, you know, we got 4th of July that's coming up. And a lot of the younger kids are ignoring uh, the fact that you can catch the virus and you can spread it. And so that's one of the toughest things. Uh, I've always said this, if we're going to have a season, uh, it's going to depend on our young people taking care of business outside of basketball, because if this thing keeps if it keeps going and, and it gets worse, um, they're going to put football and basketball in jeopardy. And we all would love to play. What are you doing, Tom? Because some of your guys are on campus because they have to be because, quite honestly, it, they weren't in good situations to be at home. They're another mouth to feed. They're, they, they, they become put greater pressure on their families. Like, yeah, what, uh, what's your guys feeling right now? Like, what's, what's in their hearts right now? Yeah, we, we talked last week, and I think Bobby Huggins spoke up a lot about, you know, as Kevin said, they're playing somewhere. So would you rather them in a controlled environment? Uh, I, I say yes, and I agree with Kevin, too, that me personally, I'm so sick of the politics. I, I, I'm fed up with the politics. I just like to hear from the medical people, not the political people, you know? And I'll do whatever they think is best. I mean, we all want our players' best interest in mind. Um, as we learn about everything, your health is still the number one factor. But I like having our players here. They came in last week. They tested. They went a week. They tested again today. If they're okay, they're going to be able to start voluntary workouts. And uh, thankful for me, I've only got one or two freshmen. So I've got a veteran team. If I was Kevin and, uh, you know, and I, I'm not sure what Anthony has, but, you know, if you got five freshmen, boy, you better find some good leadership to help. But I still think having a strength coach in there is going to be good and a trainer and just getting some normalcy back in their life is going to be very, very important. But, uh, you know, the way this thing has gone with the political uh, aspects of it, 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 it kind of sickens me because uh, I, I'd rather much uh, more listen to the medical people than the political people. Anthony, are you guys back on campus yet? And uh, like, what are the conversations like with your guys? Because uh, here, here's my take. Let me let me let me throw this out to you, Anthony, and the whole group. Like my my take is, if you get these kids back on campus, you get your players back on campus, they have access to 
world-class medical care. They've got safe environments uh, that are probably as sterile as, as can be. They, they've got nutrition. They've got, God forbid, something happens. Even, you know, something happens and they test positive. They're going to have instant access to medical care. Is that a better environment right now in terms of moving forward than being and, and probably greater discipline because there's more activities eventually that's going to be going on in their lives. I mean, where are you guys with like, let's get them back so we can get them and put them in a little bit of a cocoon and, and, and support them and make sure that they have medical care and make sure they have support systems available to them. Does that yeah. make any sense? Yeah, I agree with what Kevin and Tom just talked about just in terms of, you know, most of our guys, uh, we, we're not back yet. So most of our guys are at home and, um, you know, they've, they've got uh, different uh, opportunities where they're at either to, to work out on their own or, or to play uh, in some type of organized fashion uh, based on the states they're in and, and you know, the, the, their access to, to gyms and people. So uh, we're, our plan is to bring them back within the next couple of weeks here, probably after uh, the July 4th weekend. And then, you know, that uh, structure and, and, and ability to, to work with our medical staff, uh, the ability to, 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 to be together, you know, and start, start building uh, some type of cohesive, cohesiveness within the team. Uh, I think we're all looking forward to that. But I think the other part we have to, we have to also look at, as, as Tom just alluded to, is, is you know, uh, the idea that, that we're still in a pandemic. And, and Kevin mentioned this, the, the ability to keep uh, our players, our staff, uh, their families, our families, uh, people that come in contact with them safe. Because, you know, I, I think so far we've seen that maybe young people aren't as affected. They could be asymptomatic and, and maybe uh, not know that they have a virus. So uh, a lot of times what you're seeing, at least just the little bit I've read on some of the football uh, teams that have brought their guys back. Uh, hey, you know, they went to a, a party uh, because it's it's people in the general area that, that are there either on campus or, or you know, their friends in the area. They went to a, an off-campus party and they found out that, you know, a few of them ended up uh, uh, contracting the virus uh, unbeknownst to them. Or, hey, they're back in town and they went to uh, a restaurant or a club and they ended up contracting the virus. Now, all of a sudden, you're 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 putting people in harm's way. So, I think everybody said it. I think at the end of the day, our ability to get uh, ourselves and the people that that we're associated with, whether it's our players and staff, to really pay attention to what the medical experts are telling us, you know, and, and, and that's going to give us the best chance as we move forward uh, for uh, some version of a season. Right. And, and I think football right now is at the at the forefront of it. And, and so how they handle it will have a, a, a ripple effect on what we're able to do and when we're able to do it in terms of our season starting on time, and us being able to progress and do things that, that, that we're we're all hoping that we can do. But at the end of the day, I think we've all been away from our guys for so long uh, that just getting them back and having some type of structure and, 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 and normalcy uh, and flow. I think would benefit everybody. I think protocols are important. I think that that you know through June and July, I think 
universities because let's face it, there's no there's no game plan, there's no uh, manual on how to deal with what we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that these protocols that are slowly but surely being established uh, are going to hopefully create some type of of game plan for moving forward. In terms of moving forward with your programs, how do you recruit and move your program forward during a pandemic? I mean, like, where do you guys see the, you know, we always talk in the month of July and and August. How are you guys going about communicating? Obviously, is one part, uh, whether it's virtual tours, whether it's evaluations. How are you guys going about, Kevin, how are you going about recruiting in a time where you cannot really have connect in a lot of ways with guys that you're recruiting. Yes, Seth, um, we've had to be very creative. Um, you know, I, I call myself the Zoom master right now because I've had more <laughs> Zoom calls than you can ever imagine. Um, and, and, you know, obviously FaceTime and Zoom and, you know, technology is so different now. You get to, obviously we're doing a lot of texting kids, but you also have to, it's, it's back to the old school where you have to, you have to, rely on some um, relationships to tell you about kids. And um, I do think that we have to be careful. Um, I think some of these young men are, are getting offers um, and some of the guys haven't seen them play. And, and I try not to go that direction, uh, but it's tough. Um, the communication has to be really big. Uh, trying to build a relationship with younger kids now, I think is the key. And then certainly when we get back to being a little bit more normal, I think um, you've done your job. And, and that's a good thing about what's going on with us is, um, you know, my video guys have been very um, active and, you know, I've asked them to try to get as much content that we can just to make sure that we stay relevant and the kid understands. And, and me as the head coach, I think it's important that I be involved. But it's been a challenge. Uh, you know, it's one of those things that's always going to be a challenge because, you don't you can't physically have guys on your campus uh, I don't know uh, when we're going to be able to go out. Um, I know there's a proposal on the table about August. Um, I don't even know if that's going to happen. So the first opportunity we may get a chance to see some of these kids is late September or maybe early October. And um, I think building a relationship with them right now will help you in the long run. Is? Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned how to Zoom too. So that's really uh, something for me. But uh I think also like football coaches, you know, they've, they've recruited off film for years and I got a lot of buddies in it. So I've tried to talk to a lot of them. What can you see? What can you get? But I'm probably worried like Kevin and maybe Anthony, you know, are we going to make mistakes? Are we going to, is everybody offering everybody just so that you're, you're out there? I think that's one problem. And I, I think in a positive, one of the only positives, you can almost get a kid every day. You know, it used to be hard to get a hold of a kid. Now you call him, at least he's home. You know, you're you're going to be able to talk to him. So I, I agree that the relationships is critical. But I think we try to do a little more film work on that individual, try to get them. And for the most part, um, we don't recruit in masses. So we've had a good look at these kids, uh, you know, last summer, maybe during the school year. And uh, it's not perfect, but as long as it's the same for everybody, uh, you know, we'll figure out a way to uh, to get through it. But I, I agree with Kevin. I think it'll be September at the earliest that we'll be allowed out. And uh, people thought August. It doesn't look like August is going to go right now. 
Anthony, you guys doing yeah. anything creative? Because I mean, you you have a pretty big class to recruit, if I'm not mistaken. Well, we we were fortunate. We got three kids early for 2020, and then you're right for this next year's class. We'll we'll have you know probably four or five available. You know, I, I guess I'm I, I like to what what uh, Kevin and Tom talked about. I think is dead on in, in terms of. Uh, you know, you're doing your homework early and, and, and obviously building relationships through Zoom and, and relying on your relationships from the past to kind of help you with kids. But the other side of it is, you know, I, I have empathy for the, the recruits. So you look at this 2020 class, those kids that that may not have been able to get the exposure from what we were able to do last summer from a recruiting. So the model changed last summer for us as coaches in terms of how much access we had to go see kids, right? There were certain events that we were used to going to that we couldn't go to. So maybe some of those kids didn't get the exposure that maybe they needed to be recruited, uh, maybe at a lower level or maybe at a high level, it doesn't matter. And then all of a sudden, their year got truncated with the virus, uh, with everything being shut down. Some of them didn't get a chance to complete their seasons. And then that impacted their recruiting. And then now let's throw on top of that the portal, right? And however many kids it is, 800 or something that are in the portal that are transferring. And a lot of us as coaches are saying, hey, if we got a chance to, to look at a guy that has college experience, we're, we can do some recruiting through the portal. And that's just the nature of the business right now. So how is that impacting the 2020 class or the 2021 class? All right. So those kids that we haven't had a chance to put eyes on, because we lost spring recruiting because of the pandemic. We're losing the summer recruiting because of the pandemic. And those kids now, uh, maybe we'll see some of them in September or October, depending on what happens here. But now they're going through that cycle. And then at some point, you're going to have another group of kids that'll, that'll be in the portal. And it looks like, potentially, the NCAA may say, hey, whoever enters the portal, you could be immediately eligible for wherever your next destination is. So you're talking about having like chaos in recruiting like this thing could it could get to the point where you know it, it could be dangerous so and now we haven't even talked about those those uh young men that are that are in junior college you know and 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 maybe some of them uh are there because they didn't get looks that they wanted and they have all the academic qualifications to go after one year maybe some of them for two after two years so i mean it's it's a <laughs> There's a lot to, to, to kind of break down when it comes to, to everything that, that's out there in terms of recruiting. So, uh, you know, for, for I think this, this uh, for a, a high school coach or an AAU coach listening to this, uh, being able to, to build those relationships with college coaches or being, being able to get access to video and sharing that video, uh, you know, with coaches to get to give your your kids or, or, you know, as a parent, your, your child, some exposure, or just some, some, just a way to, to, to create uh, interest, I think is, is really, really important. I think the other side of it, we're talking about how uh, a lot of kids are getting offered, right? And what does that mean anymore? Well, the other side of it is every time uh, a kid gets offered, I think it's become a way for uh, a kid to get interest by saying, hey, I just got an offer from this school. So what do we as coaches do? Like, well, hell, if he offered them, maybe we should be offering. We better offer. You know? And so it becomes so false and, and so, yes. you know, so fake that it's just it's just nonstop. So 
uh, unfortunately, Seth, you know the game, man. That that's the way yeah. the business is. Well, Seth, I'm gonna yeah. offer everybody that these guys offer. If they say that they <laughs> offer, I'm going, I am going back right. right now. Get my coaches to follow everybody that. There they, you go. Offering, I'm going. I'm not gonna be left behind with these guys. I know. <laughs> I just, I, I just think. Go ahead, Tom. If you were still in the business, you'd be at the hospital offering them coming out of the pool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's so hard for you guys because you got – go ahead, Tom, finish up. Finish up. You brought up a good point, you know, and this, again, leads to kids. You know, it's not fair to the kids. You know, that everybody talks about all this stuff. I worry, Anthony, that because of the portal, if we're going there, that means high school kids aren't getting recruited. There's going to be less exactly. opportunities for kids. I think there's yeah. going to a lot of unintended consequences that I'm disappointed that the NCAA hasn't really looked at. We're just kind of yeah. making rules as we go. And yeah. I think that at the end of the day, the people that are going to lose out, hey, I'm going to survive because I only got so many years left. These guys got more years left. They're going to survive. It's yeah. the kids that don't survive yeah. or they look in a bad place because, you know, 50 schools have offered them because of just what Anthony said. And I, I think that part is sad and, and that's what I'm disappointed. No doubt, no doubt. You look at this 2020 class. I wonder how many kids, because they just didn't get the exposure with what with what was available to them in the summer, yeah. right? This past summer. Now, I, you know, again, I I'm, I'm old enough where I don't remember everything, but I know we only had like a week, <laughs> and then it was like these individual uh, uh, camps that the kids went to. That that if if their high school coach signed them up for, they went. If they didn't. Uh, you know, they just didn't go. And then they went to other events that we couldn't go watch them play. Yeah. Right. And so all of a sudden now we got about a week's worth of eval in the summer on these kids. And and we only had one week in April that we could go go watch them play. Right. So now all of a sudden, how many of these 2020s are out there that are still waiting to see what what's going to happen for me? Where, where is, is, am I going to sign? Do I go junior college? Do I go prep school? Like what's available? And now they'll come online with these 2021s and then they got to deal with the portal next year good luck yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. you, you look you, at you the got, portal go ahead Kent. go ahead Kent. You, you gotta you you have to have a relationship like seth greenberg had with hargrave military Academy. <laughs> and he knew that the prep schools oh, were gonna be huge and um you know the guy kind of man he told me when i first took the job in the state you know i run this state even though i was born oh. in the state anyway. <laughs> Let's go back down memory lane. Yeah. Over in, uh, over in Robinson. Oh, yeah. What a big time player. Well, big time. <laughs> listen, big time player. You were an assistant. Big time player. And um, uh, when he got, and I'll tell the story later on, he got dismissed from Hargrave and there where David West became David West. Um, Sim Robinson was good. And, uh, you know, we took we took care of Florida too. Maurice Space, yeah, yeah. Um, James White, uh, Coach. Wait, I'm wait. sorry. Hey, you know wait a second. Want? Wait a second. Here's the deal with Keats. Keats will be looking to recruit players, so we help him with players. Saying, "You know, this guy's going to be a prep school guy." Keats, you want him? Then you give him to Keats. Keats, would get him, and then all of a sudden, all right. At the end of the day, Keats, you know, I got, I got, I got you. You know, Marquise Rankin. No, you didn't. I gave you Marquise Rankin. I mean, like, he, was, he, he would flip stuff around. It was like unbelievable. Let me tell you, you do. That story on Keatsy. So, Silver Robinson from, from Miami. Yeah. He, he comes in, he recruits him. Silver's up there. And uh, so, uh, 
I go to watch Silbrin in one of their first workouts, right? And Keith is out there. He's down in the stands. He's guarding and putting them through <laughs> skill development. Sure enough, Seth Silbrin yeah. comes across. Yeah. What? That's right. That's right. Like a rip. That's right. right. <laughs> Boom. Right across the bridge of the nose. Yeah. You, his nose goes over here. Boom. <laughs> he, he does one of these. He does one of these. Right back in the drill. Finish yeah. the whole workout with a broken nose. Keechee's no marshmallow? Let me, let me tell you something. I knew I couldn't play for Tom Izzo if I wasn't tough. I, I mean, I snapped that thing back in. and uh, snapped it back <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, I couldn't let him see me cry. I mean, you know, that brought tears to my eyes. I was like, I'm, I'm look, I can't let that happen. It was, uh, was, I think that was the first workout of, 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 uh, of, the, of the fall. September 9th, September 9th, there was um, one head coach I knew that was going to be in the gym. That was Seth Greenberg. And then, Anthony, you were going to find a way to get up there. Coach Izzo, I apologize. Uh, we didn't have anybody to, to go to you at military school, but I'm sure you had your own schools. That you probably threatened the coaches in Michigan, too. You had enough guys in Flint that you were going to get your players now. That's right. Hey, hey, guys, thank you so much for doing this. I mean, I think it's really important stuff to talk about that's bigger than basketball. But I think the great thing is basketball brings us all together. And, and, and you know, with everything that's going on in the world, to be able to just talk ball and talk stories and talk relationships and uh, talk people, you know, group of people together that really care about the kids, care about their families, care about humanity and have compassion and and trying to, like I said, if we all, each one every day, if they could try to do something to help someone else, to have humanity and compassion and to be part of the solution and put, if we all get an idea of putting good days on top of each other, besides what we're doing in basketball, we can all have some type of positive impact on, 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 on our communities and, and society. And, and I appreciate you guys taking so much time to, to visit with me. Thank you so much. Thanks, Seth. Thank it. you, Seth. Thank you, man. Appreciate good luck, guys. Be safe. Guys, good luck to you. We can you learn too. from you our too. Stay safe. Our society should learn from our locker rooms, guys, because we bring a melting pot of people together, and when we get them all together, we're all in the same direction. If we can do that in our society, we'll be a better place. Awesome. Amen. 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 Be safe, guys. Thanks, Seth. Thanks, guys. Take care. Thanks, guys.